Hey, um, so uh, we're in part three of the sermon series called Me and We, and we are talking about relationships. We're talking about relationships like dating relationship. We're talking about marriage relationships. We're talking about people who are looking to get into dating or people who are divorced and they're like, you know, I'm ready to start dating again. We're looking at how we could improve the way, the, the, the health of our relationships, our significant other relationships. And uh, the reason we're talking about this is because we want everybody here to go and bless the world, make the world a better place. We want you guys to experience heaven together. But what we discovered is that it is difficult to experience heaven together if we uh, have unhealthy dating slash marital relationships. Like, hey, we want to go help the poor, but we can't because I'm having some issues at home. Or, hey, I want to go over there and help the people, you know, help people feel like they're not alone. Or I want to help fight a cause, but I can't because there's a fire at home and I need to, you know, like a lot of times the things we want to do, the things that we talk about, how we want to go, you know, when I say, as a preacher, I say, you need to go out there and do the thing you, God has called you to do. A lot of times that's difficult to do because, well, the most important relationship in our lives are under attack. And so we talked about how we could work on these things. And we've been talking about this for the past few weeks. And the whole foundation to the sermon series is that before we get to talking about the we, you and me, me, my wife, you know, whoever, right, we have to first deal with the me. And what I mean by that is when you start a relationship, you never, ever, ever start with a clean slate. And the reason, the relationship could be a clean slate, but you jumping into that relationship and you're not a clean slate. You bring the baggage from whatever, whatever your past was into the relationship that you want to be in, right? And so because of that, if you have some addictions, you're going to bring that into your relationship. If you have um, a past that you're trying to hide from other people, you're bringing that into your relationship. If you have a bad relationship with your family, you're bringing that into your relationship. And so for that reason, we have to deal with the me before we deal with the we. And what we also talked about in the past is you cannot change the other person. So, as I'm talking about this, I know the temptation is this. I wish my husband was here to hear this. Or I wish my wife, she needs to be here to hear this because, oh, that person, you know. This is for you. At any point in the message, you feel like, my son needs to hear this or that person needs to hear At any point, you got to catch yourself and say, no, this is for me. Because the things I'm going to talk about, right, is how I can improve our relationship, not how the other person can improve this relationship. Okay, so I just want to make that clear. I want to make sure that you guys understand that this is about me, not the other person, because you can't control the other person. Okay, so um, just a quick recap. On the first Sunday, part one, we, we said this, that the perfect relationship will not fix your destructive tendencies. And the reason is because there's no such thing as a perfect relationship because you're a part of that relationship. I would say in a loving way, okay? We are not perfect. And we talked about some myths, right? We talked about how some of us, we believe in the myth that as, as soon as we find the right person, then everything's going to be fixed. And we said that's not true, right? And we said as soon as we have the perfect wedding, then everything's going to be okay. And we said that's not true either. For, for a lot of us think, I have some issues in my life, but I find that right person then all of a sudden, those addictions, those, those tendencies, those bad habits are just going to disappear. And we said, that's not true. It's going to be carried into that relationship. And we, so we have to work on those things. So the first week we talked about was there's no external thing that's going to fix our relationship magically. We have 
to work on ourselves and we have to let Jesus work on our hearts because otherwise the contribution you're making to that relationship is not a good one, okay? Then the next week, which is last week, Lori talked about how we don't let others define our ideals. And by others, we're talking about social media. You're going through your Facebook and you're like, oh my goodness, this person went to Hawaii and this person did, you know, like, oh. And then you look at your own relationship and you're like, this isn't romantic at all. And, but I hope you know, and one of my favorite movies, Rated R, you don't watch it if you don't like Rated R movies, is an old movie with Robin Williams called... Uh, is it called one-hour photo or 24-hour photo? It's one of those photos, you know, quick. And it's a story about a guy who works at a photo development. Uh, back in the day, they used to develop photos <laughs> at a store, okay? And, and, and he would look through people's photos as they're being developed, and he would only see the happy moments. And so he creates this fantasy in his mind of families having the perfect life and realizing how he wants to be a part of it, only to find out. It's a, creeper, it's a creepy story, so don't watch it if you don't like those movies either. But anyways, um, but we often let what we see on social media dictate how our relationships ought to look like. And let me tell you, I've been on social media a lot. I don't post much, but I, I, I read through a lot. And I'm like, man, I wish my life was like theirs. And maybe it's not social media. Maybe it's movies. Last week, Lori showed a few clips like from Crazy Rich Asians and all that stuff. And you're like, oh, I wish my husband would do, you know, be, do like, you know, run after me in a motorcycle and almost put his life on the line to say, you know, say how much he cares. I don't know. I'm not into those movies, but um, <laughs> yeah, and, but we, if we compare our lives to that kind of stuff, we let other influences in the world define what our ideals ought to be, and we said we can't do that. Lori kept on saying, realign towards love, realign towards love. We need to make sure that we're rooted in realistic relationships, and realistic relationships, sometimes it's boring, and that's okay. It just doesn't make a good movie. Okay, so, so that's what we talked about last week. If you're into soap operas, man, that's just toxic for the other person, that relationship. Okay, so we talked about that. So, but underlying all these things is based off of this one command that Jesus gave us. If you want to have a good relationship, then he says this is the one command. There isn't 600 plus commands. There's one command that you need to live by, which is love each other as I, that's Jesus talking, as I have loved you. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Now, in those days, people, every, everybody knew what love was, right? But to love as Jesus loved was this big concept that people didn't understand. Because when Jesus said this to his disciples, he had told disciples, he said, disciples, here's the one command I want you to get right no matter what. This is mission critical. This is the thing that I want you to get right. Even if you get the other commands wrong, this is the one thing I want you to get right if you want to get com- your relationships right. Love one another as I have loved you. To which the disciples were like, well, let me think about how you've been loving me. And they're like, well, you know, Jesus, I noticed that you've been giving yourself away. Like you've been inconvenienced and you never complained about it. I noticed that you always put others first. I noticed that, that when people wronged you, you didn't, you didn't put their sins against them. You, you basically said, hey, I forgive you. And so over and over and over again, they're like, oh, I remember how Jesus treated that person. I remember how Jesus treated that person. And so you, they start to realize, oh, so that's how he wants us to live our lives. He wants us to love people in the way that he loved us. Okay, now, at that point, you're probably thinking, so cuts. are you saying that all I need is love? That all I need is love? 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 Is that all I need? Now, the question, I put a question mark at the end of that because the word love is so vague. I mean, I remember giving a similar message to this years ago and somebody's like, hey, Cots, you know, 
it's all about love. And trust me, I am the love doctor. I, I understand what love is, you know, <laughs> And I'm like, I mean, he didn't give me any specifics, but I'm like, I have a feeling that your definition of love is not the definition that Jesus would give, you know? And I'm like, uh, and you know, what's interesting is this. When Jesus talked about loving one another as he has loved them, the people in that context, his 12 disciples, totally understood what Jesus was talking about. Because just a few days later, Jesus hangs on the cross and dies for the people around him and for the people in the world, even when they didn't deserve it, right? But here's the thing. Jesus said, you need to take this message of love and spread it to the world. Now, the people who are in the context of Israel understood what that love looked like. But when one of the first Christian leaders, his name is Paul the Apostle, took that message and went outside of Israel and started sharing it to people who were called Gentiles, people who are Greeks, people who are Romans, people who are not Jewish, they had their own concept of what love should look like. And so, when, so Paul showed up and said, hey, guys, I want you to love in the same way that God has loved us. These people who've never heard of Jesus, they're kind of like, instead of saying, what is Jesus like? Who is Jesus and how did he love us? What they did was the reverse. They said, I know what love, I think I know what love is. So they took that concept of love and threw it at Jesus, saying, then Jesus must have been like this. They went the other way around. And so at that point, Paul is alarmed. Paul's like, oh, this is not good. Um, I need to tell them more about who Jesus is so that they, we could redefine what love is, not the other way around. Not, we don't want to redefine Jesus. We want to redefine love. And so when, we talk, so, so, so when, when Paul talks about love in, in the Greek language, there's different words for love. Like, for example, we in the English language have one word for love, which is love. But then Paul realizes there's different levels of love. For example, there's a kind of love where you say, hey, you know, you and I, we have the same hobbies. Man, I love you, bro, right? That's a word, that's the word phileo in the Greek, right? Um, there's a kind of romantic love, and that's the word eros, you know? And it was like, hey, you know, I love you. It's like, no, that's not the kind of love that Jesus is talking about, right? He says the word I'm, the, I'm talking about is the word agape. And that's the Greek word right there, agape, agape. That's the kind of love that God wants us to show to people around us. Now, just before I move on here, I just want to clarify something. We're going to be using the scriptures today to talk about what this love looks like. And because of our series, we're talking about our relationships, our intimate relationships. Okay? Because we're talking about that, we're going to be using these verses to fit into our context. I want you to know that 2,000 years ago when this was written, there's no such thing as dating relationships. So when you're like moving through the Bible to, talk, like, to see if there's any verses in there about how to date people, you're not going to find any, okay? And as a matter of fact, marriage as we understand it today didn't exist 2,000 years ago. So what we're doing, just so you guys know, and you don't call heresy on me, okay, is we're looking at this understanding of agape love that should be for everybody, how you treat your neighbors, how you treat your, you know, your family, all that kind of stuff. But today we're going to be shoehorning that into what it should look like in our day-to-day -day relationships, with our partners, okay? So that's what we're talking about. Okay, so the question is this. When Paul took the idea of love from Jesus and put it into the context of the people outside of Israel, he wanted to answer this question. What does agape look like? What does it look like? And the way that he answered this question is a very interesting, he takes a very interesting way to get there. He doesn't just think about it and say, well, here are some words I'm going to put down. These are the things I think that agape should look like. He didn't do it that way. Scholars think that the way Paul came up with this list of descriptions, descriptors of what agape looks like, was he kind of stalled, stopped, he thought about it, and he said, well, how has God loved me? 
how has God shown his love to me? And because of that, he's taking that and saying, so this is how we should love the people around us. In our context, this is how we should treat people in our dating relationships. This is how we should treat people in our marriages. This is how we should treat the people in our family. So I want you to know that the reason why Paul is about to give us a long list of what love should look like is because, number one, the people back then didn't understand what love really looked like. And secondly, the way that he went through this, this process, was thinking back to, well, how did God treat me? So you're going to find out in this list, there's nothing in there that says love is forgiveness. You're not going to find that there. But you and I would agree that forgiveness is an important part of love. The reason why he didn't put forgiveness in there is because when he thought about how has God loved me, there was never an instance where God looked at Paul and said, I'm so sorry, Paul, because Paul, God does not make mistakes, right? So that's why that's not on the list. So it's not a complete list of what love ought to look like, but it is a complete list of what God, how God has loved Paul. And because that's how God loved Paul, Paul's like, now I ought to love the people in this manner. So there's this vertical relationship that translates to his horizontal relationship. Are you guys following? <laughs> or am I just looking like a fool doing this? Okay. Okay, good. So let's start. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you've been to Christian weddings, you've probably heard somebody read this before. This is how it starts. Love is. The word love there, again, is the word agape. This is the kind of love, Paul says, the kind of love that God has showed me. This is how he has loved me. And therefore, let me start this list with the first word of how I ought to love you. And he says this, love is patient. Love is patient. And you're like, Okay, I could do that. I could be patient. You have to understand what patience means in the original Greek language. This is written in Greek 2,000 years ago because there is no direct translation. As a matter of fact, the word patient in the Greek is actually a, a two words put together, which means to suffer along. But, but what it means is this. Patience means that you are not pushy. Patience means that love is not forceful. You are not going to go around telling people how they ought to live. It, it's, it's, it's actually the opposite of that. It's love forces me to give you room. It forces me to say, I'm, I'm working my life at a certain pace. I'm willing to accommodate myself for the other person. That's what this word means. I'm willing to be, you know, I'm willing to be inconvenienced to the highest level because I love you. So love forces me to move at the other person's pace. And you know what? This is not natural because I know this is going to be the big dumb moment of the day, right? But you like to move at your pace, right? That's natural. For you to say, this is my career path. I'm going to go along this path in the way that I should go. For you to say, but I'm going to slow down because the person I love wants me to slow down. That person can't keep up with me. That's not natural. What Paul is asking us to do is to do something that is supernatural, He's saying we need to do, you have to live our lives in a way that is not normal to you. We have to do things in the way that the other person might want to do it. If somebody says, I know you like to work this much, but I would love to spend more time with you, love says, I'm going to step on the brakes and I'm going to stop the pace I'm at right now. I know it's going to hurt my career, maybe, I don't know, right? But I'm willing to set aside some time because love forces me to move at the other person's pace. So Paul is writing this list. He starts with the word patience, right? And he's thinking, how has God loved me? And how is that going to translate to the people around you? So when we talk about how has God loved me, okay, because remember the command is to love as God has loved me, right? 
love as God loved me. The question that's probably in Paul's mind at this point is this. Does God move according to his pace or does he nudge me according to my capacity? So Paul's thinking, how has God pushed me and nudged me in my life? Of course, God knows all things. He's not at the end, at the, at the, at the finish line saying like, Paul, hurry up, hurry up. Why are you so slow? Come on, keep up with me. I'm God. You need to keep up with me, with, with my perfection. With my, you know. he's, not, he's like, no, no, no. When I think back to how God has treated me, he has met me wherever I was. When I'm walking slow, when I'm struggling, when I come to a halt, he's always there with me. So as Paul thinks about how has God loved me, he's thinking, well, Jesus gave his life for me. And he didn't, like, imagine, the most important being in the world, God, he's like, I'm willing to lay my life down for you because I love you. And God isn't saying, so you better love me back. He's not saying that, right? He's like, if you want to love me, that's your choice. I'm going to give you room to make your own decisions. I'm not going to force you to fall in love with me. So Paul's thinking, how has God loved me? He's done everything for me, and he's never demanded anything back. He's given me freedom to make choices. So in light of that answer, he asks a question that has to do with relationships is this. Do I force my partner to move at my pace? Do I force my partner to move at my pace? Or am I willing to move at the pace of my partner? And he says, that's what love, agape love looks like. It is long-suffering. I'll give you an illustration. It's not a marriage relationship type of illustration, but like I said, this verse was given to all relationships. So hopefully you could translate what the story I'm about to tell you right now into you know, your dating relationship or your marriage relationship or whatever it may be. Um, a few years ago, we actually had somebody come to our church, and this person shared the story with the congregation. So if you were here, you know who I'm talking about. But this person was saying that he and his cousin went to Knott's Berry Farm, and there's this ride that he likes to go on. He, they, they've been on it many times before. These, these cousins are like good friends, so they'll call them A and B. And they're in line for like an hour, and then finally they get to the front, and they're, they're at a point where they could, you know, they're going to be seated into their, 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 their ride. And so B goes in and sits down, and he, you know, he puts his on, the belt on, everything. And then A comes in, and he sits down, and then the the employee says, sir, you can't ride this ride. And he says, why? It was like, well, because he had a physical condition. But he's like, but I've been on this ride many times before, like hundreds of times probably. But for some reason, this employee is like, sorry, you can't go on it. And so A gets out of the ride and says, B, you can just have your fun. Just, you know, I'll wait for you at the exit. And B is like, excuse me, can you loosen my belt because I want to get off too. And he's like, no, you don't have to do that. It's like, no, 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 let's go on the next ride. Like, We're going to have a good day today. And A was sharing with the congregation. He was saying, he didn't have to do that. He's been waiting to get on this ride for an hour. But he decided to go at my pace. He decided to give up his privileges, his right, his, you know, he has every right to be on the ride. He waited in line for an hour. He was willing to give that up for the sake of loving me. And he says, that's what Jesus has done for me. When I forfeited some of the rights in my life, because I've, he's like, I made some bad decisions in my Jesus stood by me when he didn't have to. That's what love is patient looks like. All right. Let's go on with the list. Next one. Love is kind. Love is kind. Now, some of you are thinking this. Love is kind? That's like weak. (laughs) 
you know, you're, you're like, yeah, it's like, I want something with strength, right? It's like, love is, like, love is good. That's soft, right? In the Greek language, again, going back to original language, kindness is not a form of weakness. Kindness requires a lot of strength. What, I mean by th- what do I mean by that? Kindness is a form of self-control. When you know that you could say something to the other person that would make him feel a certain way, like, I could say something and I could win this fight right now, is choosing to withhold those comments. And for some of us, a lot of us, that's really, really hard to do because you know you could say something and win that fight, right? Or for some of us, it's withholding anger. Like, I could be angry and I could blow a lid, my lid off. I could just do whatever I want right now, but it's like choosing not to. I could take revenge on somebody by deciding not, I'm holding it back. Love requires us to use strength and choose kindness over destructive behavior. One of my mentors, she told me this. She said, because this is way before I got married, she said, Cuts, you know what I learned over the years about marriage? Marriage is like getting to know the person so well that you know exactly what buttons to push to make them angry and to destroy them and choosing not to push that button, even at the worst times in a relationship. And I'm like, well, that's hard. <laughs> it requires a lot of strength. That's what kindness is. Here's a working definition of kindness. Kindness, being a stable presence for the other person rather than reminding them of their instability. When they can't have the strength in that moment in their life to move on, it's your willingness to step in and say, I'm willing to be your strength for today. I'm willing to stand with you when, if you're feeling like you can't stand on your own. It's doing for others what they can't do at the moment for themselves. So whoever your partner is, if you really love them, you won't take advantage of their weakness, but rather you will be a strength for them in that moment. Another way of putting it is this. Kindness is love's response to weakness. Kindness is love's response to weakness. So the question is this. How did God deal with my weakness? How did God deal with my weakness? Well, Paul, the same guy who wrote 1 Corinthians, he also wrote this. He said this, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. He's like, this is how God demonstrates agape to us. He says, while we were still sinners, while we were struggling, while we couldn't get anything done right, do you guys know how this verse ends? Does it end like this? He put his hands on his waist and said, again? Yeah, okay, this is new to you. This is not what the Bible says. <laughs> I just realized. This is what the Bible says. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Translation, he loaned you his strength in your weakness. When it was hard to be selfless, God became selfless so that you could have strength through that moment in life. So again, the same question is, Paul is sitting there writing down the word kindness, and in his mind he's thinking, the way he loved me is how I'm going to love the people around me. Love as God loved me. So the question he's asking about this vertical relationship is this, what is God's response to my weakness? So Paul's thinking, when I was at my weakest, Jesus died for me. Like, he became my strength. He sacrificed himself for me when I couldn't do anything with my life. And so now he's thinking, okay, so how do I translate this in the way I love the people around me? This is how he puts it. What is my automatic response to my partner's weakness? How do you deal with your partner's weakness? Do you see it as an opportunity to get the upper hand? Or do you see it as a way 
an opportunity for you to say, I'm right here for you. And strengthens your relationship that much more. If you're dating, pay close attention to your partner, okay, and the way that person treats the people who are close to them. Do you see kindness? Do you see your partner taking advantage of people's weaknesses or do you see them taking av- using that, that moment of weakness to be a strength for them? Because I'll tell you right now, the way that your partner is dealing with the, treating the other person is one day going to be the way that he's, he or she is going to treat you. Um, I was thinking about, my wife and I were thinking about an illustration for this and we couldn't think of it because we take advantage of each other's weaknesses all the time. Uh, no, just kidding. We don't do that. <laughs> no, she wasn't comfortable uh, me using our, our relationship as examples. So we're like, what movie demonstrates this? And because I'm a Disney fan, this is the only thing I could think of. Um, you guys know the first Cars movie? Not the best movie in the Pixar library, but it's a good movie, right? So... Lightning McQueen, if you don't know this movie, here's a quick synopsis. Lightning McQueen is like racing. He, like the whole movie, he's, he wants to get to this thing called a Piston Cup because it's like the greatest race in the world. He wants to get first place, and he's a rookie, and he thinks he could get it there, you know. And the whole movie, he's working his way up so he's, he can make it onto that, that track so he could win the whole race. But along that journey, he also learns that there's something more important than winning, the greatest race in the world. And so in the very last lap, he's like neck to neck with like these other cars, and and as he's going through the last lap, he sees one of the cars flip. And the, the finish line is right there. And at that point, he realizes, I could take advantage of his weakness and cross that finish line. But what he does in this movie is he actually hits on the brakes and stops right before the line. He backs up, and he gets behind that car and pushes that car all the way to the finish line. Because he chose to love instead of take advantage of somebody's weakness. And that's a good ex- illustration, right? You got to work on that, huh? <laughs> okay. Just because I'm preaching this doesn't mean I got it all down. I'm just letting you guys know. I'm on this journey with you guys. <laughs> do we take advantage of people's weaknesses or do we become a strength to them when they need it the most? That's what kindness looks like. It requires a lot of strength. Paul goes on. He gives us a trio. He says this, love does not envy, it does not boast, and it is not proud. Translation to this, love allows the other person to shine. It means when the spotlight is put on you, you're willing to redirect that spotlight to the person you love the most. It's basically your willingness to say, I didn't get here on my own. If it wasn't for that person helping me out, let me take that spotlight and put it on him or her. This is your way of saying that love isn't threatened by the other person's success by your partner's success. You celebrate the other person. When somebody's saying, hey, Kotz, your, your wife did a great job on this and this and this, this did great. And for me to say, yeah, but, that is not the kind of love that Paul is describing. What he's saying here is, every time somebody says something good about somebody else, do you have a hard time celebrating it? Do you always feel like you have to one-up them? Right? Because over time, this is what I discovered about people who like to one-up everybody, is this, that if you don't feel good about yourself, it's hard to feel, let others feel good about themselves. Isn't that true? It's a, it's, when it comes down to it, it's a matter of insecurity, right? So let's just say my wife is doing a great job, you know, and she's like, cost, cost, cost. I just got, you know, the teacher of the year, right? Or I don't know, whatever, whatever the highest, whatever thing is, okay? And for her to tell me that and not celebrate and say, well, guess what? I got the pastor of the year which does not exist, by the way, right? 
I got the preacher of the year. I got the theologian of the year. And I, no, no, that's not right. Or, you know, or, hey, you know, um, for my kids to say, I don't eat asparagus, but daddy, I took one bite and I, and I swallowed it for me to say, I ate two yesterday. <laughs> okay, but, okay, but sometimes, sometimes, okay, let's get serious again. Sometimes we're so insecure, okay, that we even try to one-up people's failures. You guys know what I'm talking about? When people say, oh, Kotz, I'm so tired. I only got like four hours of sleep. I'm like, I got two. It's like, okay, so you're more tired, right? But for some reason, you feel like you have to one-up the person because by doing that, you're bringing the spotlight on you. And, and Jesus is saying, that's not what love looks like. Why are you boasting? Why are you, you know, are you envying someone? Like, what's going on here? How did Jesus deal with this? Paul, the same guy who wrote this list, in Philippians, he, he says this, Jesus, being in very nature God, he's like, Jesus is God, did not consider equality with God something to be, to be used to his own advantage. Translation to this is, God wasn't like, Jesus wasn't walking to a restaurant saying, corner table, well, sir, oh, that table's taken. I'm God. Like, he didn't use the God card to get his way. He didn't use it to boast. The only time Jesus used the God card was to make sure that the spotlight was on them, making sure that they were forgiven, they were free to do what they're supposed to do. That, right? He's like, if you're, tr- if you're in a relationship so the spotlight comes on you, then you're doing it wrong. I've heard people say this, Kotz, I started dating this, this hot-looking person, you know? Just imagine what my friends will think of me. <laughs> That's not love, okay? <laughs> right? In other words, you're saying, I'm in this relationship for me, not for the other person. Relationships have very little to do with you. It's about you loving the other person. If you're doing this so that you can love yourself more, then you're, you shouldn't be in a relationship. Again, before we talk about the we, we've got to work on me, right? So if this is your issue, you've got to work on this. Why do you feel, like the, why do you feel the need that, to have a spotlight on you? I don't know. You're, you have your own story. I don't know you that well. But you've got to figure it out before you commit to a relationship because this is going to hurt the relationship in the long run. Love forgoes your privilege, credit, and opportunities so the other can shine. It's not about your rights. Well, I have the right to do this. No, 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 no. Yes, you do have the right to do certain things. Yes, I'm sure you worked really hard to get the spotlight. I know that you, you know, these opportunities don't come that often. But to defer that is to say that I love you. I agape you. You have to love the person more than you love yourself. So, Paul, writing down these three words, these three lines of what love looks like, he's thinking, well, how's God love me? And how does that translate to the people around me? So the question he would ask about him and God is this, is God threatened by my success? Which is a ridiculous question. It's like, I got an A in the test, like God's like, oh man, <laughs> I'm so jealous. I, yeah, Thunderbolt, you know, like, oh, you lost your paper. Like, like, <laughs> Like, is God threatened by my success? No, this is a ridiculous question. God loves it when we succeed. He celebrates with us. There's verses about them in the Bible. When you're lost and found, God surrounds his angels and says, hey, let's all celebrate. God is a God of celebration. And so Paul writing this down, he's like, this is ridiculous, but I'm pretty sure God is not threatened by my success. And so he takes that and he translates it to our relationship, our horizontal, and he says this, what is my automatic reaction to the accomplishments of my partner? Are you can, you, can you celebrate without bragging about yourself? How about this? Can you brag about your partner in public? 
Can you speak highly of the person you committed yourself to in front of your friends? Can you not add to their stories by saying, but here's my story. Can you just let it alone and say, let's just enjoy for what it is without me adding to it by making it about me? Uh, here's an example. Again, this is not a true story, but it's about me and Val. It's not a true story. Because we're both Bruins. We, we, we met at UCLA. Um, and so we're both, you know, go UCLA, right? But let's just say I went to USC. I know. <laughs> I know. No one's perfect, right? So. Oh, I offended a few people. Okay. Hey, agape me, okay? Okay. Yeah, repent. Okay. Let's just say around, you know, every few, every few months a year, there's like these competitions, right? Trojans versus Bruins, right? And let's just say I'm wearing my USC gear, which I would never do, and Val's wearing her UCLA gear, and we're, we're in front of the TV, we're just cheering. We're like, go UCLA, go Trojans, you know, we're going back and forth. And then, of course, because we all know how this ends up, she wins and I lose, right? <laughs> Bias, I know. Okay. At that point, can I genuinely say, I am so happy for you? Can I really genuinely celebrate with her? <laughs> Jesus works miracles, man. <laughs> he could change a person's heart. <laughs> Love lets the spotlight on the other person. Love allows you to celebrate other people's victories. That's what agape looks like. We're going to go through one more. There's a long list, by the way, on, uh, in chapter 13. We're going to do the other half next week, but this is the last one for today. Love does not dishonor others. Now, this is a word that we don't use that much today, dishonor. So what does dishonor mean? Well, obviously it means not to honor, the opposite of honor. So what does honor mean? Well, Paul, who wrote this list, he defines it for us in Philippians. This is what he says. Honor is, the, is to value the other person above yourself. Value the other person above yourself. So the opposite of that, to dishonor somebody means to, to value myself over the other person. Uh, think about it this way. In your relationships, do you feel like, okay, in my relationship, do I feel like I'm the lucky one for being in this relationship? Or do you feel like, man, that person is so lucky to be in this relationship with me? <laughs> Wait, which way do you see it? In other words, do you see the other person as a VIP? There was a sitcom a few years ago that ended, and it was my, one of my favorites called How Do I Met Your Mother? And I remember these friends are gathering and they're talking about like, their theories of what a relation, you know, how relationships work. And in one of those conversations, uh, they said in every relationship, there's a reacher and there's a settler, right? There, there's always somebody who's reaching out to, to date somebody in the higher tier, and there's somebody in the higher tier that says, okay, I'll settle for you, right? And, and, and they're all talking about, oh, what about that guy? It's like, oh, that guy's definitely the reacher. What about that? Oh, she's definitely the, the settler on that one, you know, and, right? Or what about, you know, those two? And they, they was like, start assessing each person. And so I remember talking to Val about this, like, did I settle or did you settle? Like, and I would say, well, obviously, I'm the one that reached, right? And I think I talked about this before at this church, and I said, do you guys agree with me when I say that I'm the reacher? And everyone's like, yep. <laughs> so, so I know where I stand in this relationship, right? But when I talk to my wife about this, she's like, no, I think I reached. And I'm like, no, I think I reached. And so this is the one example in the sermon that we're going to use that uses us as uh, real examples, right? But if you're in a relationship and you don't feel like you're the one that reached, right, then you're not bringing honor into that relationship. Love sees the, so love sees the image of God in the other person and treats them as so. 
And when you sit across the table from the person that you're, you vow to love, and you look at that person's eyes, do you see the image of God in that person? And if you do see the image of God in that person, are you treating that person as an image of God? Are you treating that person as the most important person in the world? So, when Paul writes these words, does not dishonor, he's thinking, how has God valued me over himself? And that's ridiculous because God, God is God, and I'm just a human being, right? So the question he asks is this, how much does God value me? And we know for a fact, if we're just looking at, like, facts, we know that God is the most valuable being in the entire universe. We would not be here if it wasn't for God. So this is like a really weird question to ask. Does God value me over himself? I mean, that's almost heretical to say that, right? To even ask that question. But if you look at history, what you discover is that God was willing to give up his own life for the sake of me, for the sake of you. Even though we know for a fact that God is more valuable, if you look at his actions, it tells us a different story. So Paul, thinking about this, does God value me? How, does, how much does he value me? He's like, oh my goodness. My worth, because my life was, paid at a, was bought at a price, and the price was the life of God. And so as a follow-up, as a question about how we should treat other people, he says this, do I treat my partner as a son or a daughter of the king? Do I see that much value in the person that I committed my life to? Okay, I'm going to give you a little caveat here, a little warning. And I thought about not talking about this because I know I'm going to get a lot of emails. But I'm sure that you guys are mature enough to take this the way that it means to be taken. And if not, then we could talk. <laughs> if you are in a dating relationship where the other person is treating you in a way that is making you feel worthless, anything less than a king, a, a son or a daughter of a king. Break up. Because eventually you're going to start believing that you are worth less. I don't like people using their phones during service, but right now I give you permission to text that person and say we're, we're through and then take that phone and give it to somebody else so that that person can't get back to you. I'm not even a big proponent of breaking up on, uh, through text, okay? But in this case, do it now. Now, if you're married... If you're married, I'm not a proponent for divorce, although I know it happens, and sometimes you have no other choice, and that's okay. Okay, we love you anyways, right? But if you're married and you're in a relationship right now where you feel like the other person is devaluing you and you're starting to believe that lie, seek help. Go get counseling together. Have that difficult discussion saying, I don't like the way you talk to me sometimes. You make me feel less. Because this is a very important thing because Jesus died on the cross and when he died, he said, this is how much of value I place on your life. And I hope that there's nothing in this world that makes you feel like you're worth any less than that. This is something that's so important that I want to make sure that you guys don't feel that way. You know, when Val and I, we started dating and then I proposed to her with the little money that I had. Do you know how much money I was making? I was working here, by the way. <laughs> I was making $300 a month. Because at the time, the economy hit, you know, like it was really bad, right? And so I wrote letters saying, would you please support me? Would you, and I was writing letters, like, please support me, like a missionary, you know, like, please, uh, if you could send any checks my way, that would be very helpful. 
And then eventually, by the time we got pro uh, I proposed to her, I was making about 800 a month, but it was way less than she would make, right? And I remember sitting across from her, and she was looking in my eyes, and the way that she was looking at me, it made me feel like she doesn't see me for my, my economic value. She sees me for the value that God has given me. When she looked at me, and I was looking in her eyes, I could tell that she saw, saw me as a son of a king. She saw me as a human being, not a person who made less money or, you know, right? That's what it means to not dishonor in your relationship. She honored me by looking at me and realizing that I was a, you know, a man of God and not look at how much money I'm going to bring into this relationship. Now, eventually, you know, you guys have been so generous that, you know, I'm okay now. But back then, she, she was working so hard you know, to make sure that we could make, make ends meet, you know, and she still married me, and that was great, right? So, <laughs> so let's, let's review, okay? So Paul is basically saying this, love my partner as God has loved me. How do I do that? And Paul just, we just talked about four things. Do not be forceful, okay? Move at the other person's pace. Lend strength. When the person is weak, you are there to lend strength. That's what agape love looks like. Allow your partner to shine, <clears throat> If, you, if, the person, if the person's like, look, I accomplished something big, and in your eyes, maybe it's not as big because you've been there already, don't bring it up. Just celebrate the person's accomplishments because that's what Jesus has done for you. And finally, value your partner. Say, I value you more than I do. And we're not just giving lip service. We're, we actually mean it. This is a genuine form of love saying, like, you are more important to me. I, you know, this is why Paul, if you know the Bible, you know, Ephesians talks about how marriage relationships should work. It says, you need to love in the same way that Jesus has loved the church, meaning I'm willing to give my life up for you. So at the end of each of these messages, we usually end with a few discussion questions just for the series. We're not going to do it for all the series. So that you guys have something to talk about when you're outside eating or you're driving home. Here are some, here's four questions, and these are questions I already asked. Do you force your partner to move at your own pace? Number two, what is your automatic response to weakness? Number three, what is your automatic reaction to the accomplishments of your partner? And finally, do you treat your partner as a son or a daughter of the king? Take a picture of it. You know, you could do whatever. But these are important questions to talk about because the more you talk about it, and by the way, these questions are designed to accomplish something. And this is what it's designed to accomplish. As you ask these questions, you're forced to deal with their own toxicity. As you're going through this list, you're like, oh, number three is something I need to work on. And you realize, in order for this relationship to work, not something that you need to change, but something that I need to change in my life. What can I do to bring more health into this relationship? Now, like I said in the beginning, everything we talked about today is not natural. You don't naturally move at somebody else's pace. You don't naturally, you know, um, defer spotlight to somebody else. These are things that you can't do accidentally. These are things you have to be intentional about. You're going to have to force yourself because agape requires so much of yourself. And after you go through these questions, you're probably thinking, Koss, I don't know if I could do it. Uh, I, I thought, you know, relationships, relationships were supposed to be easy, right? But I realized it's really, really hard. And Jesus knows that. Paul knows that. These characters in the Bible know that, and they always come to the same conclusion. They, said, they say this, what you need to do is you need to ask the Spirit of God 
to come upon you and give you strength to move beyond your natural self. You need to ask God to say, give me strength. You have to say, God, please give me strength to be more selfless today than I was yesterday. And you do that every day, every day, until you become more and more the image that God called you and your relationship to look like. But it all starts with this. How has God loved you? That's where it starts. How has God loved you? Until you realize that God is a good father, you're not going to be able to love the people in the way that God's loved you. He demonstrated for us what love looks like so that we could go and live it out with the people around us, specifically in this series, our partners. Amen? All right, let's pray.